1: Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you with information and knowledge that empowers you to make better financial decisions in your life. One way we try to help you is through our Team Clark Call-In Center. For all the details on how to reach us, go to clark.com slash CAC for free one-on-one advice, guidance, and information. Okay, I did fall on my head. Because I have something positive to say about Zell. I am completely in the Christmas spirit, obviously, that I'm gonna say something positive about Big Bad Zell. Also, I gotta tell you something that Southwest Airlines is doing that is a lump of coal for people as we are in the Christmas month. And let's talk about something else. Normally, I tell you not to spend money. Hold on to it carefully. Be convinced of a good reason to spend it. But if you have some spare funds sitting aside, I got something I'd love for you to consider doing. And that is donating to our 33rd annual Clark's Christmas Kids program to help children in foster care. And a lot of these kids in foster care get nothing Christmas morning except for you stepping forward and being a generous soul. You can see how it works and how to donate at ClarksChristmasKids.com. So, in the Christmas spirit, I'm going to say something positive about Big Bad Zell. Thirteen months ago, Zell, which is this app that the banks love to cram down your throat, Zell was the subject of high-profile hearings in the U.S. Congress, and there have been billions of dollars stolen from consumers through the backbone of Zelle that the architecture makes it vulnerable tied right into your checking account for scamsters to be able to separate you from your money. That's why we see all these what are called pretext, text, emails, phone calls coming from people pretending to be from your bank, from a company you do business with, a variety of places that you well may be a customer of, pretend there's a problem with your account or something like that. Well, these scams have been so ugly that Zelle promised, I mean, think about this, 13 months ago, Zelle promised that by January of 23, that they would have some ironclad consumer protections in place. Never happened. Never happened from what I've read, and I'm not a party to the conversation, so I just have to trust as much as I can that the information I've read that's leaked out of various meetings, that there was a fight among the banks, that the banks didn't want to protect consumers. Some didn't want to, some did. And they've been in this rugby scrum behind the scenes this year. Well, finally, Reuters reports that the bank's have now come up with protections from Zelle and lenders are now required, meaning banks, to use a tool that flags transfers that have certain key risk factors to them. Number one, a payment to an account that's never had a transaction on the Zelle network. They believe that will greatly reduce all these pretexting scams where someone pretends to be from your bank or from a company you do business with or something like that. In addition, the banks are now going to protect people when they're scammed in a pretext. When you get something that looks like it's from your bank and it says you have to do this, that, or the other, there's this problem with your account, we need to have you verify your status and all that. Well, you're verifying it, not with the bank, but you're verifying it with a con artist. So now... Apparently, there's going to be protections. As one of the lobbyists for the banking industry said, quote, the banks through Zell, without regulation, without legislation, have actually proactively gone and said, we're going to make sure that we are trying to address any kind of consumer issue or harm, end quote. And so this, what's called imposter fraud protections, is a really, really positive step. Now, is it going to work on the ground day-to-day with each individual bank or credit union? Are they going to honor the new Zelle requirements? We'll see. But now, for the first time, you have an effective tool. This doesn't prevent the problems that have happened to a lesser extent on Cash App and Venmo, where people have been subject to the imposter scams. But here's what you need to know. Don't wait for these new protections to rescue you after the fact and get your money restored. Anytime you're contacted by somebody who pretends to be with government, pretends to be with some organization or business you do business with, or with your own financial institution, and they're telling you you have to do this, that, or the other, know that when you're getting that big push of a sense of urgency to do this right away, that's your automatic alert and warning that you're this close to getting scammed. Don't try to rely on these new administrative protections that Zelle, better late than never, has put in place. I would avoid using these apps as my first line of defense. I don't. My wife uses Venmo, but she set up a separate bank account and a separate financial institution and only has enough money in it for transactions he's likely to do, either receiving money or sending money with Venmo. That would be the second line of defense. And the third is be your own police officer. Be aware that these scams are rife. These cons are everywhere because they have worked for the criminals. And the money once sent has been untraceable. So it's up to you and me to be wise to the con game. That's what I ask of you. And I do want to say to the banks that own Zell, which is some of the biggest banks in the country, thank you for finally doing the right thing. You never thought you'd hear those words out of my mouth, did no, you, Krista? No,
2: I bet they didn't think they would be doing that either, but they got in trouble.
1: So, does that mean <laughs> I shouldn't call it Big Bad Zell anymore?
2: Uh, that's up to you. That's up to you. Okay. You still don't recommend using it.
1: I don't recommend using Zelle even, or any of the apps. And my oldest brother owed me some money for the third time, sent me a payment on Zelle that I then refused. And so I called him and I said, remember, I don't use Zelle. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. So now how's he paying me? Cash? No, he's not going to pay me. No, (laughs) he's sending me an electronic Oh, check. Okay. Yeah.
2: All right. Uh, we'll go to some questions now. Tom in Massachusetts, this is one that everyone's been asking about. Do you have a free budgeting alternative that you would recommend? I've been using Mint for several years, but they're closing shop January 1st. Thanks.
1: Yeah, I had no idea how much people had adopted Mint over the years. M I N T.
2: People are devastated. Like yeah. some of these emails you've gotten.
1: I oh mean, they gosh. are, they, people are like, this was a real piece of stability in their lives where they were able to know where every dollar in their life was going and mm-hmm. see if there was a trend that was bad with spending in a particular area and and use it as information some people use it as a budgeting tool but people used it wider than the idea of a budget they use it as a way to to really have that sense of control where so often people feel out of control with their money and so at clark.com, we put together a guide that we are updating right now, or has it's just been updated. Just updated. Yeah. That gives a number of alternatives from ones that are free from other providers, like Mint was, or are freemium, which freemium has uh, been a really popular area of, of the app based culture, where the, you get a stripped down version for free get you into their world and then maybe lure you in to something has more bells and whistles and you'll pay for it.
2: Mint did have one subscription where you could do no ads and pay, but
1: I'd rather have ads. I know. Always I'd rather have ads. And then there are others that are just straight paying for. And the one that people have been the happiest with over the years that you have to pay for is you need a budget. Why nab? that that one has really stood the test of time and many people found superior over the years to using Mint in the first place. But the transition is going to be a pain for people. I really feel badly about it. You know, the new owner of Mint has repeatedly bought enterprises and then said, well, we bought them, but now we don't like how they do business. And they've done all kinds of things that have been disruptive to people.
2: They're trying to move everybody to
1: credit karma. karma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love credit karma, but as a budgeting app, it doesn't have the depth to it of these others. So, you know, they were offering most of what they do for free. When they offer something for free, they can just say, oh, well, just kidding. And that's exactly what happened in this case. But you will be able to successfully transition to an alternative that, I think you'll find has enough of the elements you want, maybe even more than you knew you wanted and be happy with it.
2: Kevin wrote this on YouTube. What can a consumer do regarding the sudden influx of businesses that have data breaches, I mean, this year alone, I've received at least six different notifications of six different businesses that have had data breaches. I get it. No one can be foolproof. However, I'm frustrated at the lack of protection or priority any of these companies put in place. I'm a retired IT support specialist, and I know better for myself. If I can protect myself from hacks and data breaches, why are so many businesses that we as consumers trust with our personal data just getting only a slap on the wrist?"
1: So I call this the Equifax problem. The worst data breach we've had ever was the Equifax data breach where, I mean, you name the portfolio of of dossiers on personal information on more than half of American adults out there, still causing havoc in people's lives. And this was by far the worst event we've had with people's data that anybody's ever known about. There could be something we don't know about. The feds, the states basically did nothing. It did no harm to Equifax, even though they harmed over 50% of American adults. And I think that corporate America took a signal from that, that there was no point in them spending a lot of money on data security Because there were no consequences. I mean, look at T-Mobile. How many data breaches has T-Mobile had? And there's been no consequence for T-Mobile. And you can name company after company. So the problem is there's no requirement under the law with any teeth that gives companies an incentive to spend money to improve their data security. So data security is a joke with most American corporations. And that's the problem. Uh, the other thing is a lot of organizations collect way too much personal information. I think about with us, we repeatedly have these conversations. If people sign up for anything with us, you know, newsletter, Clark.com, Clark deals, whatever we collect the absolute minimum information possible in order for us to provide the products. So that if we did get a data breach, we're not causing any significant harm to people. I mean, that's because for me, it's reputational harm in addition to whatever harm would happen to you. And so a lot of companies don't worry about reputational harm anymore. Because as you said, you've gotten six of these this year. And it's like, what difference does it make? You're going to get another six letters next year. And so it is a thing that has not been a priority in the political process to have logical consequences for these companies that collect our data and then don't protect our data. What should you do? You should absolutely, if you don't have it already, put credit freezes in place with the three major credit bureaus, which will deal with the consequences of identity theft that are the most harmful to people in the most direct impact where somebody applies for credit as if they're you, and then you face a fight from behind to clear that up. Credit freezes are free. If you don't know how to do it or what they do, go look at clark.com slash credit freeze.
2: And SJ in Utah says, Clark, watching NFL and saving money is a passion of my life. I have signed a contract with a builder for an investment townhouse, which will be ready in May of twenty four. I own my current house and mortgage is $2,400 a month. The hope is that interest rates will go down a bit and also to save money for the down payment, which is 20% for investment homes. I will need about $50K more on top of my savings to put the down payment. My question is, is it a good idea to take a HELOC or withdraw from my 401k? Current household income is $130,000. The price of the townhome is $470,000. It's a deal in this market here in Utah. If I don't do a down payment, the $2,500 initial deposit to the builder is non-refundable. Clark, please put me out of my dilemma. By the way, my wife and I were laughing on the floor after listening to your dishwasher saving tips since I do the same and my wife rinses and puts it back, ha-ha.
1: You know, we just had that conversation and Lane and I, my wife and I were in the kitchen doing the dishes and I'm bringing them in from the dining room table. We had company over and I was washing the dishes. And so I put them straight in the dishwasher and she's bringing dishes in and she goes to the sink and she's pre-rinsing them before they go in the dishwasher. Uh (laughs) So this, this battle of the sexes in our house is never going to be resolved. Okay, so first of all, with new construction, I would take the risk with the $2,500 initial deposit to the builder that's non-refundable if you later don't go through with it. It's such a small amount versus a $470,000 townhouse. Take the risk with if you later decide to forfeit the deposit, you forfeit it. Rather than paying a big down payment that if the builder got into financial trouble, Who knows what happens with that money? Even though in Utah there's been a big inflation in housing prices, whether it makes financial sense for you to buy this as an investment property should be based on what rent you can earn on that property, because I assume that's what you mean by investment. You're going to rent out this townhouse. What rent can you earn versus the monthly carry on it for uh, the cost of the loan you have, which is a higher cost loan because it's an investment property, the money you uh, opportunity cost on the money you've put in as down payment that you're not earning anything on, the taxes, the insurance, the maintenance, all those things. If you are upside down each month effective rent versus what you're paying for it, I don't advise going forward with the townhouse. You cannot be assured that the value of it from 470 is going to go up from here, it could go down, or more likely scenario, housing prices remain sluggish for a number of years to come. So I would really think through the numbers on this purchase before you move forward. Back to your original question, you said HELOC or 401k. I would say a third thing, you go to a credit union, you're not a member of a credit union already. And my favorite product for this is a five-year home equity loan. You would use rents from your tenant to pay off that five-year home equity loan over the next 60 months because it has a fixed rate. The HELOC is a floating rate. And I prefer, particularly with an investment property, because even though there's a possibility interest rates go down, probability, possibly. I believe they're going to go down. What if they don't? What if they go the other way and you have a floating rate on that money you need to borrow for a down payment? That was a lot to say, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I do believe that the housing market is going to go through a slow, slow, steady correction. And what the correction is, people's incomes will go up over the next many years. Housing prices normally trend up with the cost of living, plus maybe a percent and a half. But in recent years, they went up way more than the overall cost of living. And so ultimately, you have a correction because you have to get back to Where it's affordable for people to buy a home. Otherwise, you end up like we are now with so many people on buyer strike. So that's why, when I'm being asked by people, you know, home prices went up so much from 2012 to now, and particularly the last four or five years. That's not what I'm expecting as we look forward. And that's why buying an investment property at today's prices is a question mark, not necessarily a great decision. A lot of the companies, Wall Street enterprises, they were buying bulk buying homes to rent out. Now we're kind of sitting there and they're not buying inventory in any meaningful numbers now because the numbers don't work for them. I'd use that as guidance to know that the numbers may or may not work for you on owning that investment townhouse may work out fine. It's just more risk than it would have been in the past. So coming up ahead, I want to talk about the devaluation of frequent flyer miles, hotel stay points, you name it. And what moves I want you to make is we look into 24. If you love earning points for travel, The value of travel points from various providers, especially hotels, airlines, the value is going down, 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 down. It's like owning fool's gold with these points. And having a lot of points in your account is an opportunity cost because those points are becoming worth less and less. I want to give you an example. Southwest points, which generally have been a better deal than the ones from the three full-fare airlines, American United and Delta, Southwest points were worth about one and a half cents each. And then they were worth like 1.3 and then 1.2. And starting in January, they're going to be worth roughly 1.1, 1.15. Right in there is going to be the ratio. So if you have a Southwest Airlines credit card and you're earning those points, What you get for those points is worth less and less. Several of the full fare airlines, you're now earning less than one cent value per point you have, or mile, whatever they call it. And with hotels, you're earning somewhere around seven-tenths of a cent or less for those hotel points. It's a joke on you and me, but it's not funny with the devaluation of travel points. So you're paying an annual fee for these airline tie-in cards, hotel tie-in cards. They've got very high annual fees. So do you know that for the airlines, a lot of them lose money flying passengers in a typical week or month, and they make all their profit from the credit card partner they have for frequent flyer points? It's stunning. I mean, they earn in billions and billions and billions of dollars per year from these credit card tie-ins. And you and I have been like fish with hook and mouth being reeled in. So a couple of things. Unless you fly an airline or stay in a hotel over and over again, and the real value of the tie-in with the cards is status or with an airline, free baggage, Uh, Instead of having to pay baggage fees or potential possible for an upgrade once in a blue moon, whatever that it would be, unless there's a tie-in that really makes it work, you shouldn't have the card. So in my case, I fly a lot, about 30 weeks a year. I have the Southwest Rapid Rewards credit card, and I'm not getting rid of it with the devaluation down to 1.15 cents per mile or point. I'm keeping it. And why would I keep it? Because for the last 18 years, next year will be 19 years, my wife has been able to fly with me free all year long. Because the greatest benefit for me is the Southwest Companion Pass, which is this wonderful thing that tied in with a credit card and flying. You can name a companion each year and you can change it four times in a year or three times in a year. So somebody who's dating... And you break up with somebody, you can change it to the new person you're dating on like that. Anyway, all year long, that companion flies for nothing with you. And it's not a limited number of seats. You book your ticket, you book them with you for nothing. So that made it worth it for me. But if it was just for the points, no way, not any day. For most people, unless you travel a lot, is to look at cards that earn cash back. Cashback is king. No annual fee on the cards. And you earn, if you're out there really working in the marketplace, two cents on every dollar you charge. Remember the travel stuff, about seven-tenths of a cent to Southwest is pretty much at the high end at 1.1 cents per mile, even with the devaluation. If you have Southwest points, you can book travel in next year, this year, and you book at the old redemption rate, of roughly 1.3 cents a mile, and that's worth something. That'll save you some money, particularly if you do it when Southwest is running a sale on tickets for 24 this month, which almost certainly they'll do at some point in December, you want to book that travel then on the sale fares because you're getting this year's redemption rate on points and you're getting the point redemption based on a sale fare. So if you do want travel cards, though, and you don't travel a lot on a particular airline, my advice still stands, Capital One Venture Series or the Chase Sapphire Series. Either of those, it's better to be a free agent in the travel world than be tied into a particular provider. Krista?
2: This question? you you
1: want to share with people how useful you found your Marriott? Uh, Bonvoy points to be?
2: It's Okay. Not, uh, yeah, not They've great. been a disaster, have I have been they? able to use them for extenuating circumstances, though, and that did help
1: me, I'm not going to lie. But the, uh, the redemption rates yeah, were... Yeah, not great. ...atrocious.
2: Ann in Iowa says, I received a letter from my mortgage lender that I have a negative escrow balance. Should I pay it in full now, or should I pay the higher monthly payment starting next year? It would be an additional $135 a month more than what I'm paying right now. I do have the amount to pay in my savings, but I'm wondering if it's better to keep it in my savings because of the high interest rate that that account has.
1: Yes, yes. You keep the money in your savings and let it continue. Hopefully you're earning five plus percent right now in your savings. If you're not, move your savings somewhere else. And the mortgage escrow shortage letter you're getting, there's a plague of these going around because of increasing in markets in the United States where values for taxes are reset every one to three years. People are seeing their property taxes go up. And then as we've talked about, so many questions we've had from people with their homeowner's insurance costs going up. So escrow shortages are a very common thing right now. And paying is agreed next year is better than you giving them the lump sum.
2: Elaine in Florida says, is this legal? I ordered an item from an online store for nineteen ninety nine. It showed it as a markdown from the regular price. Later I received an email that my order was canceled and I needed to reorder. The new price is $36. I called customer service who said that the first price listed was an error so I need to pay the higher price. It seems that they need to eat their mistake.
1: So Elaine Smart Business says that by them charging you 16 more dollars they have alienated you in a very competitive retail landscape, and they may lose a lot of future sales to you. But it is considered to be ethical and reasonable under the law that if there is a clerical error and the price of something is listed incorrectly, we were just talking about airline tickets a minute ago, there's been a big issue in the airline industry, retail as well, obviously. When there is a clerical error, they are allowed to say, Nope. I had this happen years ago on a Black Friday computer purchase that I bought online, and then it didn't come, didn't come, and then it canceled. They said, this was a clerical error. This was a an error by our ad agency, so we're going to give you a $20 Goodwill credit towards a future purchase instead of the laptop. And they were within their rights to say that because if it's clearly an obvious circumstance of an error it was done procedural, clerical, whatever, they can actually do it. The question always is, is it a good decision to do that?
2: I just had an incident, I'll have to tell you, at a store, a very nice women's clothing store that had sent me a birthday coupon. It was like $20 off of a purchase of, I think it was $125 or more. And I went to use it about three days after my birthday. And they wouldn't take it because they said that it ended at the end of that month even though i just received it a few days before my birthday and i was buying a lot more stuff than what the, what the minimum was and i put it all back because they refused to budge on it they were like nope it expired you can't use it and i was like this is so short-sighted they
1: didn't tell you it was your fault that your birthday is on the last day i know of right right
2: so anyway <laughs> it's just kind of silly but i thought it's the principle all right. This one is from Carson in Wisconsin. My name is Carson and I'm 12 years old. I listened to your show with my parents in the car. I've earned a lot and I've $1,000 in my Roth IRA.
1: That's fantastic, Carson.
2: But we disagree on if something is smart financially, Carson and his parents. We are visiting my aunt in Florida who is ill for the holidays. We have seven family members going and they are renting two minivans for travel for two weeks through Costco travel. They cost $1,000 each. I think we should use our own SUVs. They think it's a good value not putting miles in their own car. What do you think? And P.S. My dad won't call himself a Clarkie and prefers the term Clarkaholic.
1: <laughs> well, Carson, um, I'm just glad that you listen and that you're happy to listen. But your parents are right in this case with the SUV. And again, congratulations to you on saving the thousand and the Roth. And I wish your aunt a full recovery. So here's why your parents are right. And the rest of the family members are right to rent the two SUVs or minivans, minivans, I think you said, because if you consider the depreciation of a vehicle per mile, the cost of actually operating it, insuring it, the maintenance that come sooner because of putting what would likely be as much as 3,000 miles on those minivans going from Wisconsin to Florida and back. It's a smart decision to pay the thousand dollars each to rent them, be able to put the miles on the rental company's fleet instead of your own cars, your own vehicles, your own SUVs, whatever. And so your parents are right. Their relatives are right. And I hope you have a good trip to Florida and keep saving money in your Roth IRA. I'm glad you're working already at 12 years old. It's a great thing because that's how you were able to do a Roth. Keep it up because that money today will make you wealthy down the road. It's not just possible. It's pretty much guaranteed. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Do we have a Clarkie today? We do. Here we go.
2: First of all, thank
1: you, Clark, Krista, and the whole team. I've certainly got a lot of great advice from you over the years. I'm a single lady, Sharon, from Wisconsin,
0: and I am on a dating site, and I met a guy at a coffee shop, and at first impressions, he looked so much like Clark. He even had the same kind of glasses. I was real surprised when we started talking, and his voice was even very similar. So that was kind of funny, and it was no connection, and uh, I'm not dating him, but I sure had
1: to chuckle when he pulled out his calculator to figure the tip on two cups of coffee. Mm -hmm. So I just thought I'd share that fun story with you. Keep all the good work going for us. We all appreciate it. Thanks, Clark.
2: Thank That's you hilarious. very much. You would never have to pull out your calculator.
1: No, it was <laughs> automatically in my head. But you realize I was back-to-back Wisconsin. I know, I know. Yeah. And why you didn't meet at Culver's, I just don't understand. No. In your coffee shop. But anyway. And you don't drink coffee. So it definitely I, was not you. I've had, okay, so I had to give a correction. I've never had a cup of coffee in my life, but I've had coffee ice cream. So I have had the sense of a coffee bean. Okay. Do you know the mean trick that my family played on me once? What? I like, you know what Raisinets are? Yeah. So I like Raisinets. Family member, I don't know which one, put chocolate-covered coffee bean Uh. in the Raisinets. (laughs) Can you imagine? You pop those in your mouth, and suddenly, those coffee bean kind of candies. Yeah. They are strong. I was dying. I spit it out, brushed my teeth, and it was still there. So I guess I have tasted a
2: coffee. Yeah, you bean have though. a friend of mine was driving. I remember this, his cross country team in a van, like in college. And um, they had to drive late into the night. So he bought a bag of a chocolate cover of espresso beans and he ate the entire bag. And he was literally like shaking his eyes, like popping out of his head while he was driving.
1: Well, have a wonderful day. And we look forward to being with you tomorrow. And I hope that you'll come up with some strategy now, not in January, for taking control of every dollar in your life.